If I don't keep you awake, I might call you out, so just a warning there. Who are you? Let me ask you that question. Who are you? That's a great Sunday school answer. But think about it. Who am I? Just to be honest with you guys, I'm not worthy to stand here. And if we claim that God's presence is among us, I don't know that we're worthy to sit in this room. In and of ourselves, no one is worthy. We discovered that last week. No one is righteous. But how incredible it is that we are not who we are based on our past experiences, based on our faults or failures, based on our personal desires, but as a follower of Jesus, as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, we are who He says we are. And Jesus stands before the Father right now, interceding on your behalf, telling God, you know what? She is my child. He is a child of God. And I've paid the price for that sin. We are who God says that we are. What an incredible, what an incredible word. We can end right there. Ben, again, you ruined the service. You provided the message before the message even came. As we've gone on this journey through the book of Revelation, chapters 1 through 3, we've looked at these churches, the context in which these letters were written, and then we've drawn conclusions to our lives in our church. We've looked at God's purpose for us as a body of believers. We've discovered God's plan for us as Christ works in and through our midst. We've been reminded that Christ's presence is here in this room among us and guiding us every day. We've discovered the fact that Christ's power is available to us if we would only be obedient and follow His command. And then we've looked at God's provision in our lives. When we step out in faith, when we step out of the boat, when we put our feet to the water, God is going to provide for our needs and bless us for our obedience. So today I want to finish up this section of study. We're going to talk about Christ's preeminence this morning. Some of you might not know what that word preeminence means. I'm going to give you a second to Google it. I'm kidding. Don't do that. The question could be stated, does Christ have authority over your life? Or does Christ have authority over this church? And we're going to answer that question this morning by defining three areas we must give Christ authority or preeminence in our lives and in our church this morning. You can, there's, a, there's an outline in your bulletin you can follow, and I will help you fill that in as we go. But before we jump in and talk about these areas, let's remind each other of the study that took place this morning in the Bible study hour. You studied the church at Philadelphia. That church became a very important and wealthy trade center in that city of Asia Minor and beyond. 
Philadelphia sat right in the middle of the seven churches. And as we read that letter to the church, we see that they had no condemnation for this city. His promise to the church there was that he would make the overcomers a pillar in the temple of my God. That is significant. Did anyone discover why that term, a pillar, is significant? It did, and what, there was an issue in the city, right? They had an issue that happened over and over again. What was that? There were earthquakes. There were earthquakes often in the city. And because the city's main architectural pillars were weakened by these recurring earthquakes, the promise that Jesus would make them pillars in God's sanctuary would be something they could quickly visualize. It's something that was very familiar to their lives. They had been faithful to the things of God. The church was having an evangelistic revival and it had a vision for reaching the world for Christ. My friends, if we're going to lean into God's plan for us, if we're going to become overcomers, if we're going to become a pillar in this community, if we're going to be a faithful body, members of the body of Christ, if we're going to reach the world and bring about life change in our community and our nation, then we must be willing to give Christ preeminence in our lives. We must be willing to give Christ the authority in our church. So this morning I want to share with you three areas in which we must give Christ preeminence. But before we do that, let's pray and we ask, ask God to speak to us as we open His Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for, for Your Word. I thank You for Your truth. And I want to be bold this morning and God ask you to move and speak to us as we search for your word for us. Father, I pray that I wouldn't be saying anything this morning because I know I'm unworthy. But Father, I pray that you would speak to us, give us your words through your word. And I pray that we would obey and give you authority in our lives. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Three areas we must give Christ preeminence. Number one. We must recognize His glory. If we're going to fulfill the commission that God has called us to be as a church, as a believer, we have to recognize God's glory. In all phases of life, in all phases, we are created to bring God glory. We are saved to bring God glory. We grow spiritually to bring God glory. We serve to bring God glory. In our suffering, we bring God glory. We use our gifts bearing fruit to bring God glory. Every aspect of our lives should be lived to fulfill God's plan for our lives, namely, to bring God glory. Everything we do as a believer should be to glorify God and not ourselves. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 tells us, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. First Peter 4.11 tells us, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We exist to glorify God in and through us. The church's measure of success is to glorify God in all that we do. 
Because our greatest calling is to glorify Christ, perhaps one of our greatest sins is to rob Him of the glory He deserves. When we place ourselves in a position to receive glory due to God alone, we rob Him of His glory. When we selfishly pursue our personal motives and our personal desires, we rob Him of His glory. When we grow too complacent in the structure and routine of church life, let me say that one again. When we grow too complacent in the structure and routine of church life, we rob God of glory. A few weeks ago, we discussed the fact that or answered the question, why has this last generation left the church? And the answer is simple, because they have not experienced the power of God in their lives. And whose fault is that? It's our fault, because we have not showed it to them. We have structured God out of church, have we not? Do we not do that? We can put together a plan and a structure that factors God out of the equation. I know churches that have developed formulas to function successfully and completely remove God from the picture. And those churches are growing, and they're popular, and they make money, and their members increase. And, they, and then we sit around and think, man, if I could only be like that church. If I could only be like one of those churches. I don't ever want to be a part of one of those churches. We should never factor God out of the equation. Every decision that we make, everything that we do should be to bring glory to God and functioning in obedience to Christ's command to us. Jesus is fiercely opposed to any behavior in the church that dishonors Him. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We know it well, right? Do we know this section of Scripture? Give me a yes. We do. Now I'm going to tell you something. You don't know it. Some of you that have been raised in church have memorized this portion of Scripture. You say you know it, but I'm going to say you don't know it. Okay, I'm going to argue with you for a minute. Let's go a little back and forth for a minute. I know it's frustrating, but we'll play this game. Okay? All right. Jesus came and said to them, all authority. Okay, since we all know it, let's do something different, all right? Y'all don't like different, do you? Let's all stand and let's read it together. You want to do that? Since we know it so well, how about this? Let's take it off the screen. And let's say it from memory, all right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Ready, set, go. All right, let's start. Let's get back on the same page. I'll start us, and then you finish us, okay? Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All... All right, all authority has been given to me. So he says to do what? Go... All right, you guys can have a seat. Maybe we have different translations floating around there a little bit. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. 
And Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We know it. I've preached on it a lot. But maybe we don't know it. In this portion of Scripture, we see that Jesus has received all the authority. And then He gives us a command. And that command is to what? That's debatable, right? What is He telling us to do? He is telling us to go. He is commanding us to go. He is commanding us to make disciples. He is commanding us to baptize, and He is commanding us to train. Jesus was extremely clear with His followers. Disciple-making is not complete until the disciple is practicing everything Jesus commanded. You are not a disciple of Jesus until you do everything that He commands you to do. I was reading this week, and in my reading, it brought about the question about, are you following everything that Jesus has commanded of you to do? Landon and I were having a discussion last night because in the Jewish faith, children grew up memorizing Scripture. And between the ages of 12 and 18, when the child becomes an adult, the boy becomes an adult, he would have memorized the whole Torah, the whole Old Testament Scripture that he has. And in my reading of another work this week, he was asked, there was a discussion between pastors. Are we obeying the commands of Christ that He's given us? Or it was phrased this way, what is the best way for your church to make an impact on the world? And the answer was simple, obey the commands of Christ. So do you obey the commands of Christ in your life? Do you do everything that Jesus commands in Scripture? That's what a disciple is. Now, we're not talking about being content to come to church and check a box or sit in a chair. We're talking about radical obedience to Scripture. Jesus commands the disciples here, go, make disciples, baptize, and train. You are not finished until that person that you are training is fully developed in training other people. So we look at churches today, and we ask the question, when's the last time someone's been baptized? Church, is your attendance dropping, or is it going up? Church, when's the last time you had visitors in your midst? Church, is there life in your body? can't answer these questions, you got a big problem. I'm afraid we understand the Scripture, but we don't fully obey the commands that Christ has given us in our lives. We must do these things. We must do all of these things. The challenge that I've received this week is read 
Read the Gospels and write down every command that Christ has given and then obey them and see what happens in your life. Maybe we should do that as a church. Read the Gospels, write down every command of Christ, and then obey them. Wonder what God would do in our midst if we would just obey the Word of God. Number one, we must recognize His glory in our church, in our lives. But not only that, we must relent to His Lordship. Not only should He receive the glory, but He also expects total surrender to His will. Now, this is where it gets kind of sketchy, okay? So, um, I'm going to apologize. Actually, I'm not going to apologize. I'm just going to say it. Our function as a church should be God-centered and not people-centered, okay? Let Let me say that slower. Our functions as a church should not be people-centered. They should be God-centered. That makes sense, right? Do we do that? Church, we should be about, about the business of doing not what you want, but what God wants. Your preference, your opinion, in essence, doesn't matter. What matters is what God wants us to do, what God is calling you to do. That's what obedience is. God is not saying, if you feel like it, if you're up for it today, God is saying, this is what you should do and do it. What if we let God run our business meetings? What if we let God structure our worship services? What if we let God lead our Bible study classes? Well, don't we do that? I would argue that we do, but are we also structuring God out of it? Because that's easy to do as well. What matters here What matters in Christ's church, what matters in your life, is bringing others into a love relationship with their Lord so they can recognize when God is speaking and they can be obedient. They will be ready to obey. So our call as a church is to develop a culture of raising disciples who will carry out the commands of Christ that He's given to us. That's our obligation. That is our duty right now is to develop a culture in this church where we are raising up mature disciples who can carry on the faith to the next generation. That is our calling. Parents, those of you who have kids, those of you who raised kids, those of you who have ever seen a child, okay, we're all in this boat together, right? We don't have children and then throw them to the world, do we? And just hope they can survive. We don't do that, do we? That's cruel. That's punishment. We teach them. We train them. We develop them into hopefully mature, respectful, productive, law-abiding citizens, right? I had this old deacon that I used to get in, go round and round with because uh, their child never came to youth group, and it drove me crazy. And all I wanted them to, I just wanted them to come to Bible study. Just come to Bible study. 
just come to Bible study. But they were too busy with life. And so one day I had to sit down with this guy, and I said, what is it going to take to get your child invested in church? You know what his answer was? This is my motivation as a parent. I want to raise a child who gets good grades, graduates from college, and gets a good job and doesn't end up in jail. If I do those things, I will have succeeded. Is that successful parenting? According to the world standards, it yes, it is. Now, we had to compromise with something because this individual was an incredible follower of Christ. They just wouldn't come to Bible study. So I had to learn something. I had to learn to use that individual in their circles to make an impact on the world around them. We all look different and we all move different. The key is everyone is called to develop disciples, right? That command that he's given us, go, right? What else? Make disciples, baptize, and train them. Take them where they are and move them to where they should be. When pastors, oh, here's where we're going to get. I'm going to take a drink before I say this, okay? We see churches in the world around us where pastors make all the decisions. Where they act as if their members cannot be trusted. In essence, they're saying more about their lack of trust in the Holy Spirit than their lack of confidence in their membership. Brother and sister in Christ, just doing what you're told robs people of the opportunity to become spiritually mature. And this is where we've gone way off base. Pastors who are acting as if they're the head of the church is a problem. In essence, the pastor's responsibility is to bring people into maturity in Christ. It's to develop the next generation of disciples. The pastor's responsibility is lead out in this command that Christ has given, not to lord over the church. Who is the lord of the church? Jesus, not the pastor. Not the pastor. Now, understanding this, we know something is going to happen. Because we established last week, what? We're all messed up, right? Everyone in this room has an issue. We have a problem. We have things that we deal with. None of us are worthy, truly. So when we do this, when we, when we begin to train and equip and hand off leadership responsibility, things get messy, don't they? Why? Because people are messy. Everybody makes mistakes. But here's the key, guys. In this context, we allow people to learn. This place, just like your home, guys, this building is a training ground. And just like our children, we want them to learn how to live in the world while they are under our roof to help guide. Guide them through that process of successful living and development into a mature believer. Guys, in this building, in this body, it is okay to try and fail. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay. 
It's okay to learn and grow. It is okay. We are here, everyone in this room, everyone in this body, we are here to pick each other up. We're here to encourage each other. And we're here to spur each other along. We're all in this together, guys. That's why it's key for us to develop the next generation of leadership and not have one individual lord over everyone. We're all in this together. Guys, the last months have been trying. And the only way we survive is together. That's how we do it. So it's not one individual doing something great. It is the body of believers rallying together to accomplish something incredible through the power of God working in and through us. That is how we survive. And that is how we grow. And that is how we develop new leaders. And if we don't develop new leaders, we're going to die, right? It's kind of like if you don't have children, your family name will, will die. It is our responsibility to train and develop that next generation so Bearing Cross has a name, so Jesus has a name into the future. In Paul's ministry of the church, he tells it very clearly in Colossians chapter 1. He tells them that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That is his, that is his goal. That is his calling. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul is saying, you know what? It's not me. It's the power of Christ working through me. And this is my objective, this is my goal, is to present everyone mature in Christ. That is what we're called to do. Every pastor here at Bearing Cross is called to develop mature believers. Every small group leader, Sunday school teacher, deacon, anyone on any leadership team is here, is here to develop mature believers. So, in order for us to give Christ lordship or authority in our church, we must recognize His glory, number one. We must relent to His lordship, number two. But number three, we must also reflect His character. It is not enough to do what Christ asks. We must also be what Christ commands. We need to reflect the nature of Christ to everyone we encounter in our lives. Think of Think of, I think we talked about it this morning. I, saw, I even saw it on TV yesterday, watching sports. This passage in John chapter 13, when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, He provides an example for us to follow. He says in John 13, is this me? I'm going to turn this off. Alright, I don't like that. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example to follow. Do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. For if you know these things, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. To bring Christ maximum glory and honor, His Lordship, our church, must resemble Christ in all that we do. In reality, God will not honor our efforts if He is displeased with our character. God is ready to take control in our church. God is ready to take control in your life. 
He's not daunted by the challenges ahead that we face. He knows how to take us and make us into a mighty force. But we must be willing to submit to his will and follow in his steps. Yes, it's a costly venture. But it always costs far more not to go with God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 tells us, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If God wants to bless our efforts, we would need to behave in a Christ-like manner. Christ is the head of the church. And for a congregation to be healthy, Christ must be the focal point of everything that we do. When we take the center stage, the church is in danger. If you are not rightly related to God, you will not interact properly with others. Therefore, as a church, we must recognize his glory. We must relent to his lordship and we must reflect his character. When the exalted Christ is present, nothing else matters. If the success of a church hinged on the ability of its pastor, we have a lot to be worried about. But as we focus on our Lord, we regularly witness the miraculous in and through our midst. It's not about an individual. It's about Jesus working in and through us. The key to a successful church is keeping Christ the center of everything that we do. We must assume the attitude of John the Baptist when he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's pray. Father, what an overwhelming task that we have. The task of being obedient and following the commands that you've given us in your word and in this church. And as we so often look at ourselves and think, who am I to be in this position? Reassure us of the fact that you have called us for such a time as this. To embark on an incredible journey. To do an incredible work in this community. And you've given us everything that we need to accomplish the task. I pray, Father, that you would lead us to be obedient to your commands to take a step of faith, and to lean into your power as you do an incredible work in our midst. Father, I pray that we would relent to you and that you would take the reins, Jesus, and provide direction for our lives. In your son's name we pray. Amen.